Hello and welcome to Asia In-Depth. I'm Matt Schiavenza. Major League Baseball has been out of commission since the coronavirus began to hit the United States. No games have been played, and the season is only now due to begin, assuming that fresh outbreaks don't put those plans in jeopardy. But that doesn't mean there's been no baseball to watch. Since early May, ESPN has broadcast games from the Korea Baseball Organization, or KBO, to audiences in the United States and around the world. With the Major League Baseball season finally set to begin, we at Asia Society are going to go deep into the wonderful world of Korean baseball and see how it presents its own unique spin on the American national pastime. Ji-ho Yu is a sports writer for the Yonhap News Agency in Seoul. He's been covering the KBO for more than 15 years. Han Lee is the founder and CEO of GSI, an agency that has worked with numerous players making the transition from Major League Baseball to the professional leagues in Asia. Dan Kurtz, founder of the website MyKBO.net, serves as moderator. Ji-ho Yu begins the conversation by telling what you might call the origin story of professional baseball in Korea. As you mentioned, the KBO began uh, in 1982 with six clubs and uh, expanded to seven teams in 1986, eight teams by 1991, became a nine-team league by 2013, and currently we have, we've got 10 teams with the addition of the KT Boys in 2015. Uh, back in 1982, uh, professional sports in Korea really began as part of that government's uh, sort of attempt to maybe distract the public a little bit from, you know, uh, I guess a little bit of military uh, regime in, in politics. And, you know, promoting uh, film industry was part of that. Promoting professional sports was also part of that. Uh, professional soccer league was founded uh, or one year later in 1983. Uh, so with baseball, uh, you know, the professional his- the history of professional baseball is maybe not as long as that in Japan or obviously in MLB, uh, but the game of game itself, the game of baseball itself, had been around in Korea for quite some time. Uh, uh, this country has a very rich history of its high school baseball, and right before professional baseball came on board, uh, the industrial league, the semi-pro, a competition was pretty big, and a lot of the stars came over to the KBO uh, when the professional uh, league was founded. And uh, you know, the game itself uh, had been a pretty big deal in the country. And finally, by the end 1982, uh, we, 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 the country had its first uh, professional league. And uh, you know, at the moment, um, uh, in fact, the last uh, several years, baseball has been the number one professional sport in Korea uh, compared to, I mentioned soccer, uh, basketball, and volleyball. If you look at the TV ratings, uh, ticket revenue, ticket sales, just, uh, I guess, social media presence, if you will, uh, baseball has been uh, the number one sport in Korea for quite some time. Well, thank you uh, for that brief overview of the league. Now, I'm going to stick with you again, Jiho. Um, since you have covered both Major League Baseball and the KBO, I guess what a lot of fans may be wondering are, what are some of the biggest differences between the leagues that you've observed over the, the past few years? And then the follow-up to that would be specifically to you, for you as a reporter, what are some of the differences between the two leagues that affect your life as a journalist and a reporter? 
Well, to answer your first question, you know, I've been asked that question a few times uh, this year, especially because, you know, there's been a lot of interest, international interest in the KBO you know, without Major League Baseball being, being played over in the U.S. and, you know, KBO games being telecast live on ESPN six days a week. So I've been asked that question quite a few times uh, this year, especially. And in terms of just the style of play, uh, I would say that you're going to see the balls being put in play more in the KBO than in MLB. Uh, major leagues in recent years, it's become kind of, um, I, I would say, three-true outcome league, if you will. Uh, there's a lot of home runs, uh, a lot of strikeouts, a lot of walks, but very little in between. So you're going to see a lot of you know trotting around the bases uh, after home run or trotting to the first base after drawing a walk or I guess trying back to a dugout after getting struck out. So uh, there's not a lot of action in between. And, you know, people complain about maybe slower pace of the games in MLB, uh, the game being a little more tedious than usual, than, than, than before. Whereas in the KBO, uh, you would see fewer strikeouts, uh, even the guys hitting in the bottom third of the lineup, uh, you'll find that those guys are still able to put balls in play with pretty good regularity. Uh, so, you know, with... We're going to get to some foreign players in the KBO, I guess, later. But when they come over, maybe one of the bigger part of the adjustments over here is that they've got to learn how to put the guys away facing you know, number seven, number eight, number nine hitters in lineups uh, because they're going to be, you know, they're going to grind you out. Uh, they're going to work long at bats. They're going to follow off pitches. Uh, they're going to make you work. So uh, they're going to put the ball in play. And given the sort of inconsistency with the defense, a lot of things can happen. And you put the ball in play. So uh, I would say the KBO game, a typical KBO game, has a little more action than a typical MLB game, uh, especially in the last couple of years. Uh, for myself, uh, just working, uh, covering the game, uh, I, guess, I would say the major difference is the access to uh, the locker room, the clubhouse. Uh, in MLB, I guess pre-pandemic days, you know, reporters were able to, during the designated hours, were able to get into clubhouse to uh, you know, speak to players or coaches or managers. Whereas in the KBO, the clubhouse and locker rooms, they've always been off limits, at least for as long as I've covered this league. Uh, but you can, you know, talk to players and, and managers, I guess, in the dugout uh, before game or after game. But just the access uh, part, that, I would say that's the biggest difference for me as a reporter working, uh, working in the league. Okay. Well, thank you for, for pointing out those differences. I know me, I, I'm a fan. When I, see, when I see the KBO and MLB difference, basically for me, it's the fan atmosphere. It's the cheering. It's the, it's the singing and chanting that's going on here. So that's one of the major differences that I notice. And now I'm going to be heading over here to Han. As Jiho pointed out, and myself, just between some of the differences between MLB and KBO, one of the differences is that KBO teams are allowed to sign up to three foreign players per team. As an agent, you've had uh, quite a few clients that have played and are currently playing in the KBO right now. My question is, uh, questions, when one of your clients is signed to play in Korea, what are some of the ways that you prepare them for the KBO? And then the follow-up to that would be, do you think that preparing a player before they arrive in the country of Korea plays a big part in their success on the field? Yeah, so the biggest thing that I focus on when players sign, and I'll typically – for this example, I'll use, and I'll just assume that guys are being signed during the off season. Um, but I'll go through like a whole spectrum of giving them kind of like a brief cultural education, 
on Korea, um, on the KBO and sort of like what to expect. And then we'll sort of talk about um, what their living arrangements would be like, uh, what different types of food they can expect. Um, and I'll briefly try to tuck up on the, the language as well, because I mean, think about it. You have, you're basically upping and moving to a different country um, and having to live there for 10 months out of the year. I try to equip guys with skill sets that can help them enjoy living life in Korea. I think that's such a huge part of a player's success. Um, I think Gio can agree. If you look at guys that have had success, sustained success over the years that have played in the KBO um, for multiple years at a time, you can often find that these players integrate into the team. So they're not just treated as a foreigner, they're basically treated as one of their own. Um, and I think sometimes, a lot of times, that goes beyond simple baseball skill set. Um, certain, I think, skills can be taught um, to help guys sort of ease that transition, if you will. Sure. Well, that, well then, we, we talked about that, and you t- brought up some of the challenges that they may face on and off the field. And so <laughs> I guess maybe some fans may be wondering, what are some of the common challenges that these players may, you know, face while they're playing and living in Korea, just like some everyday stuff that you may, you maybe get called upon by your clients going, Hey, what's, you know, what do I do? Or what, what should I know? I'll focus on some of the simple things first. I mean, food, if you will. Right. So these are things that you often forget about, but it's something that you have to at least do three times a day. Right. (laughs) Um, it can actually be pretty challenging for guys that are playing in, um, some of the rural towns, where they don't have access to, I guess, traditional breakfast foods that American guys might be used to, you know, pancakes, eggs, and bacon. Um, Nowadays, in recent years, more and more cities are coming up with brunch cafes, so these things are becoming more available. But oftentimes, these places don't open until 10, 11 o'clock in the morning. Um, And and Dan, you mentioned earlier – you know, you having to wake up early in the morning because you have kids, a lot of these players bring their families with them. So you see them, they're awake at, you know, seven, eight o'clock in the morning. Um, And of course they can cook, but sometimes they just want to go out to eat and there's not really readily available breakfast spots um, available all the time. And it's not like, and it's kind of difficult to tell your American clients to go to a traditional Korean restaurant and try to eat a bowl of rice with some hot soup and kimchi at eight o'clock in the morning. Um, so that can bring some, some challenges as well. And also, I mean, just touching up on food, continuing on with the food discussion. I mean, some guys do a really good job at adjusting to the, the different types of foods that are available, um, but other guys don't. Um, and then that could be a real challenge. I've, I've dealt with uh, players having to lose weight because they don't properly um, get the necessary nutrition that they need. Um, so that's something that's often talked about, and especially on the road. Um, so with what Korean teams do is after a game, all the post-game meals are served at the weight team hotel. And the menu is oftentimes going to be, be Korean. And again, these American players – like I said, they, they like Korean food to a certain extent, but sometimes they can kind of get tired of, I guess, eating, I don't want to say the same thing, um, but eating Korean food every single day. Um, so that's some of the, the bigger challenges that I face. And on the field, I mean, I think 
a lot of guys do assume baseball is the same, right? I mean, they play uh, under the same set of circumstances. But I've noticed this with first-year foreigners, sometimes I'll use um, pitchers as an example specifically. A lot of times you see umpires being a little bit more strict with the strike zone. Um, and I try to tell players that it's kind of a, a welcome initiation, if you will. You know, it's not something where you should or you don't want to express too much frustration. Um, so I try to have guys kind of just chuckle it off. But sometimes that can get pretty difficult, right? Because you see that happen in, in the U.S. that you can oftentimes see players mouthing off to, to umpires and, and that can have a really big adverse effect um, in the KBO. So those are things that, that I try to tell players. Bowing is huge, right? Um, pitchers get on the mound to start the game. I, I tell them to take off their cap and just kind of bow to the umpire before you, you get the ball from them. The hitters reach the play for the first time. I have them, you know, tip their helmet just slightly to the umpire when they get to first base, do the same thing. I mean, these are just little small intricate things that you can teach guys, but I think umpires as well as other teammates, even your coaches can kind of see that this guy has a clue, you know, rather than being the, the somewhat disrespectful foreigner that's, that, that can happen from, from time to time. So, well, that, and I'm sure, like you said, that that probably helps out with their integration into the team. Uh, what, you, you basically touched upon it, but what, what is something that you have personally learned um, over the years of having worked with the foreign players and KBO teams? Is there something that you came into the, you know, into the into it thinking something and then something popped up and you're like, wow, I had no idea. I, I learned something or is there something, you know, I'm sure you're learning new stuff all the time, but anything specifically that jumped out specifically with the KBO or in the clients? Sometimes the challenge is so things can get lost in translation. Um, okay. And that's not the fault of the team. That's not the fault of the player. Um, sometimes when you're discussing certain topics and this happens day-to-day business as well, right? You're, you're talking about somewhat of a sensitive issue. The intent I think in, in translation is, is very important. Um, and sometimes when the translation quality is not as good, um, those things can, can happen. And I try to step in as, as quickly as I can to, to diffuse some of those things at times. Um, and just keeping an open line of communications with, with my clients as well as the team, just to make sure that nothing gets lost in translation and that everyone's kind of on the same page. And, and you run into this, quite a bit uh, when players are struggling because at okay. the end of the day, if players are performing well, right. I mean, it doesn't really matter <laughs> what they do. Um, you know, team's happy. Everyone's happy. The fans are happy. Um, so I just try to make sure uh, to preempt some of the challenges that can arise from some of those translation issues. Sure. Well, that is great, which is going to lead to my next question then to Jiho. Um, since you were in the, you are part of the media over there in Korea, how are the foreign players viewed by the fans in the media in Korea? Uh, do the, like, do the foreign players get treated fairly by, by them? Are they, you know, I know with such a limited amount, there's only 33 players per team. There's 10 teams. So that's 30 foreign players. Do they, um, I know they have heavy expectations usually, but how are they generally treated in the Korean language media and the Korean fans in the country? Yeah. So, you know, there's a term for the foreign players uh, in Korean 
Uh, it, it's called Yongbyeong. It's not often used anymore, but uh, it's, it literally translates to mercenary, basically higher guns, right? 30 guys, uh, 20 pitchers, and 10 position players for, for the teams. Um, you know, I guess it all depends on what you mean by fair. Uh, your de your definition of fair, <laughs> right? Because these these players they're expected to be number one and number two starters for the most part, and either uh, bat in the middle of the lineup or play a premium position, right? So they're expected to uh, contribute a great deal to their team success. And I guess you know I do understand they they're under a lot of pressure. Uh, I guess Howard would you know know a lot more about it. Than I do because he's got some, he's got a lot of clients in this league, um, you know. For, for a lot of these guys, maybe they've never been in this position before. They're they've never been the guy, the man on their respective teams. Maybe not since their high school or college, or maybe some lower levels of minors. Uh, you know, a lot of these players come over with some major league experience, but you know, I guess you know there's a reason why they ended up in the KBO. Uh, so there's. You know, a lot of pressure on that aspect in terms of having to perform, having to live up to the contract, and live, live up to the expectation, and also, you know, try to, I guess, extend their baseball careers and try to maybe go back to their majors eventually for a second tour, uh, second go-around in the big stage. So, and, and plus the fact that they're on a short leash, relatively speaking. So that sort of compounds all the problems, that they, all the pressures they might be faced coming into uh, this new league. And I mean, I haven't even touched upon all the adjustments they have to make on and off the field. So, you know, there's a lot of pressure on these guys. Uh, but uh, whether they're being treated fair or not, you know, um, again, it, it depends on what you mean by fair. And I, I think there's, you know, when you get paid a certain amount of money, when you get paid, when you get receive a certain amount of contract, uh, there's a level of expectations that you have to meet. And if you don't, you know, this, you know, this is professional sport. If you don't perform, uh, then, uh, you know, you probably don't have a place in this league. So, again, I understand that the pressure they're facing, uh, but uh, I, I guess the expectations are a little different for the foreign players that come in compared to maybe some of the Korean players. Sure. And that, uh, maybe I'm going to jump, jump over to Han real quick. Maybe you have something to add to that. Do you feel that your clients, I mean, again, this is me as a fan, Fair, like Jiho said, it, it's all relative. But do you, do you feel that they get um, covered um, pretty well by the so media? I, I, I have, <laughs> I actually have a bunch of things that I can mention. Um, but I'm, I'm going to try to limit myself as much as possible. I can tell you, media plays such a huge role, um, not just with with foreigners, um, foreign players in the league, with the domestic guys just how KBO teams run um, their teams in general, but specifically in regards to, to foreign players. So one thing that I specifically, I guess you could say, coach my clients on, and I'll tell you, Jiho doesn't do this, but there are certain reporters <laughs> that ask what I like to call trap questions, okay? So at the beginning of the season, let's say a, a, a foreign hitter has, has been going hot and, you know, he hits – a homer in two, three games in a row, reporter will ask that particular player the following day, hey, are you going to try to hit 50 this year? Or what are your personal goals, right? Are you going to try to – you're on pace to hit 45. Like, are you feeling good? And I always have to remind them to never 
tell the media your specific individual goals because what some of these reporters will do is i mean look it, it's great clickbait right is if you have a, a a star a first year foreigner who's been going hot riding hot and next thing you know he says that he's looking to hit 45 homers in a year that's going to be run everywhere the following day right and what ends up happening is fans will see that and i get it there's so much excitement involved with new players that come over fans almost start to expect that right and hitting 45 homers in this league everyone knows is is no easy task. And I think when players end up doing that, they almost set themselves up for failure. Um, so I always encourage my guys uh, when asked those specific questions, and, and I'm telling you, it happens every single year, to switch the individual focus to more of a team-centric, right? I'm not, I'm not focused on individual numbers. I'm here to help the team win it doesn't really matter if I hit 40 or 50 as long as I give my team an opportunity to, to win as many games as possible. You know, that's what I'm here for. And with pitchers, the biggest questions that they're asked is how many games are you going to win? How many wins? There's <laughs> such a heavy influence on the number of wins that they have. And it's quite funny if you win 10 games, Almost everything is forgiven. You can have a, a four or five ERA, but if you at least win 10 games, then the media will kind of say, well, he struggled with this and this, but he at least had double digit wins, right? And sometimes that can be quite frustrating for uh, pitchers that play on teams that are not very good. Um, so these are things that I have to, on the flip side, I have to help my guys help understand too, right? Why is there sure. such a heavy emphasis on wins only, right? right. Like you can have 20 quality starts, but if you go eight and 10, then they're basically going to undervalue your performance. Um, so helping guys understand some of those expectations like Jiho mentioned, because I get it. Look, at the end of the day, you're a professional athlete. You are a hired gun. I mean, literally. And your expectation is, is to come in and, and perform and perform right away. I mean, there's really no, you know, getting your feet wet. I mean, if you don't, if you don't start off hot, I mean, the media will come after you. So, helping guys sort of manage those expectations can be quite challenging, especially for first year guys in early parts of the season. Another well, question I'm most, most oh, yeah. often asked, uh, how many times have you been asked about your goal? That's my, one of my favorite questions. <laughs> and they'll always laugh at that. What are your goals this year? Yeah. I mean, I asked them how many, how many times they've been asked that question. <laughs> you know, they're always like, yeah, I can't even count. <laughs> yeah. Well, me coming from the fan perspective, I always just joke with the foreign players. Literally, it seems as soon as they step off that plane, you're expected to hit 50 home runs, pitch a perfect game and throw a no hitter. And if you're not, it's kind of like, well, why, why aren't you doing that? But um, as, as unfair as that is, that's just generally, I mean, how I see it from a fan perspective what other fans may be expecting and even media but sticking with Han here now you not only represent some foreign players in the KBO you also have had 
also have Korean KBO clients, um, Korean players. And so my question is this, and we actually had a question from Paul going, um, what is the relationship and dynamic like in the clubhouse on and off the field between the foreign players and the Korean players? And then his Paul's question on that was, how does the role of importance of seniority in Korean culture play into KBO? And then how do these uh, American players or foreign players adjust to that? So the Korean players do a great job of welcoming the foreigners, um, especially during their first year, right? Because at the end of the day, these Korean players know the American guys are going to play a huge part in the team's success. Um, so early on in the season, you'll see um, it's quite common for all of them to kind of go out to dinner, all of them to kind of bond as, as a teammate, right? Because with the language barrier, it can be somewhat challenging because every conversation you want to have, you have to use a translator, which can become quite cumbersome. Um, but you do see there are Korean players that are sort of more willing to kind of bridge that adjustment for them. But what I like to encourage my guys is to take on that role of approaching those players first, right? Um, because sometimes, I mean, it can be feel quite lonely too if if you're in the clubhouse. Um, and this actually oftentimes happens with, with hitters because most teams, almost every KBO team will hire two pitchers and one hitter, right? And during practice or, or in, even in the in-game situations, pitchers and hitters are kind of in a separate situation they'll have their own translator. So oftentimes hitters are kind of left on their own. And what I like to encourage my guys to do is approach some of the younger guys, right? Because if it's players that have played in the big leagues before, some of these younger guys will kind of look up to them as if they're, you know, higher authoritative figure, right? They want tips in practice. They want to approach them and ask them about playing in the big leagues. Um, so I, I really do encourage them to kind of reach out, particularly to the younger guys, um, to just introduce themselves and become friends. Because at the end of the day, you have to spend 10 months out of the entire year, almost every single day. They're only off on Mondays, right? So you have to spend so much time with them that your day-to-day -day life can become more enjoyable if you feel like you're part of the group. Um, and specifically talking about the seniority aspect, this is quite interesting because a lot of American players that are coming to the league now, they're a lot younger than they used to be. Um, I think okay. Roberto Ramos with LG, I think he's 25. Um, but in a typical situation, right, in, in a clubhouse, a 25-year-old, 26-year-old would be one of the younger guys in that group, right? But again, because they're considered a mercenary, um, there's really – the seniority thing kind of goes out the door. Um, okay. So, like, Roberto Ramos is not going to go around and, and, you know, bow 90 degrees to Pagong Tech every single day. I don't know. Maybe he does, but I'm saying that's not necessarily going to be the expectation. Okay. Um, now the interesting thing, and I could talk about some of my clients that have played in the KBO for multiple years. And it's quite interesting to see, like I have Josh Lindblom who played in Korea for five years. Right. Sure. So even for 
Korean standards, especially for a foreigner, I mean, you are kind of at that ultimate veteran status. So you're now going to see more and more players bowing to him every single day. Um, and, and guys like Josh, they've figured out the league on and off the field. So Josh will, of course, bow to guys that are older on his team, to his coaches and the manager. But generally speaking, the typical Korean cultural norm of, of seniority kind of goes out the window. There's really no um, expectation on the players' parts to kind of, you know, ultimately bow down to some of the, the older guys because at the end of the day, they are expected to be their best players on the team. Sure. So I would say the respect is almost – kind of reversed automatically as long as they perform <laughs> which is <laughs> the which is the most important part of all and i was just gonna say so that goes back to it sounds like yeah. everybody needs to have success go ahead jiho you're gonna yeah i was gonna, gonna say gonna... all the all the foreign players they uh, they're your clients right now yeah 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 <laughs> much, right? <laughs> yeah um because uh, and it's kind of funny and i'll tell them Happens every year. So happened to Casey Kelly last year. Um, and I'll tell guys, hey, at every start, you know, you bow to the umpire. I, I'm going to tell you right now, it's going to end up on the news tomorrow. And of course, following day or that night on Naver, yep. right? Casey Kelly respects yep. the umpire. And it just kind of, look, at the end of the day, if guys don't perform, none of that stuff matters. But I always find that if players can do that and perform, then some of the, I guess, the love, if you will, that you can receive from fans can be heightened because fans can start to relate to them more because that's that's what they want to do. Sure. And while even going back to Casey Kelly, I know like even he hit, I know, even on my, my oh, Twitter account there, he, he hit somebody, yeah. he took off his hat and bowed. It got a lot of views, just not on my Twitter, but on neighbor on the portal sites. It was one of the most viewed um, clips of the day simply because whether it was the age difference or not, he simply just took off his hat. He was just being polite. And then what I found interesting was from the Western fans, the American fans that are watching there going, man, maybe we need to bring this to the, bring this to major leagues. Just, it's just that sports, that sportsmanship, just that respect there. So, you know, it's just like, yeah, you're competitors, but at the same time, you're still human. So I thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely. And sometimes that can be hard. Right. And I get it. Cause you don't really see that in the MLB and it's not like pitchers will go up there and, and try to hit guys on purpose. Sure. Um, and some of my guys have a hard time understanding why do I have to apologize in a game? And I totally understand that too. But I think the fun part of my job is helping those guys understand those cultural moments. Right. Um, and it really helps elevate their image and, and they're not doing it for the image, but I, I, I just tell them to do it to sort of integrate more into the teams because you'll see Korean guys doing it with, um, with uh, against other Koreans. It's really interesting to see though, is if, if the pitcher is older um, and the hitter is younger and they know the dynamic that you don't see it as often. Right. <laughs> but if the pitcher is younger and the hitter is older, 
amongst the the Koreans. Oh my gosh, the, the tension, right? I mean, you kind of see the fear in the pitcher's eyes, like, oh my gosh, what did I just do? Um, and I specifically remember, I don't want to get too sidetracked here, but this is this was so funny. There was an incident a couple years ago. The hitter was Hanwha's Kim Tae-gyun, and he was plucked by a pitcher. And Kim Tae-gyun thought he was older than the pitcher, right? So as he was walking to first base, he was staring down the pitcher. Well, it turned out the pitcher was actually older. Um, but Kim Tae-gyun didn't know that. So they were about to really throw down because the pitcher thought like, oh, well, I'm not going to apologize to you, right? So as they're literally walking down first base, I think the opposing team's first baseman came running to Kim Tae-gyun and be like, hey, 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 that guy's actually older than you. Um, and you kind of see this awkward moment of silence. Kim just realizing like, what? Uh, is he really? And then I found out the next morning <laughs> that he went and apologized to the pitcher for kind of staring him down. So when those quirky things happen, right, American players will kind of look at that and go, well, what the heck is going on? But helping them understand those moments, I think it, it makes them, I guess, become a part of um, one of their own rather than you just kind of being left out in the process. We're going to take a short break here to talk about a few of our upcoming web-only programs. On July 29th, Dr. Ashish Jha of Harvard University will provide an update on the global response to the coronavirus in a program with Asia Society Hong Kong. And on July 30th, Asia Society New York presents an evening with Jenny Dorsey, an Asian-American professional chef and food writer, on the interplay between food and emotion. To learn more about all of our upcoming events, check out asiasociety.org slash online. And now let's get back to baseball in Korea. Are some of these cultural yeah. moments that Han was just talking about, like the hit batters and apologizing, do they, uh, the media covers it, I know, at least from the perspective that I have as a fan, like on, on the portals and stuff like that, but you as a reporter, are they something that come up in some of the uh, things that you have seen and maybe even your stories or some other stories that you've seen about these cultural interactions that play out actually on the field in front of all the fans? Um, well, you know, it's been, it's been a part of this league for, for such a long time. Uh, I think people just take it for granted that, you know, there's going to be bowing, there's going to be, I guess, a bit of a, an apology Right. Uh, but I do recall this one incident involving Kareem Garcia when he was playing for the Lotte Giants. And he, uh, you see you smiling now. He had a big uh, home plate collision with, uh, I, I can't recall the team, but you know, it, was, it was a massive MLB style home plate collision. And I think it led to a brawl or something, right? Because yeah, the other team could, could, could not believe <laughs> a, a player would take down a catcher like that at, at a home plate. Whereas Karim Garcia, you know, having played in the majors, I guess at least before the Buster Posey rule came, came in, you know, it happened all the time, right? You, you try to score at whatever the, co whatever the cost was. And, you know, you, if, it, if it meant taking down your, the other catcher, you know, you do it. So I guess the idea was that, um, you know, this is such a small league uh, and, you know, a lot of people know each other from their high school days or the college days or the middle school or what have you. So, you know, they don't want to 
hurt anybody, basically. Whether it's a slide or home plate collision or, you know, getting plunked by a pitch. So when, you know, this foreign player came charging in, um, you know, took down the, the Korean catcher, that was considered um, uh, just a bad look. And I guess Garcia just couldn't understand, uh, you know, why they were upset. And he was just trying to score. He was trying to win a ball game. <laughs> and then the other guys got upset. Uh, but I guess in terms of, you know, after hit by pitch, pitchers uh, bowing, uh, showing, I guess, uh, respect or apologizing. apologizing. Uh, I guess it used to be considered maybe a sign of weakness at some point. But, but again, it's in the KBO list, uh, it's been about a part of this uh, competition for such a long time. I think people just take it for granted. But this year, especially, with some international eyeballs, uh, with some more U.S. audience watching the KBO, I guess they find it a little, uh, little different. Or I guess it's even refreshing. Sure, sure. Well, that well, thank you for bringing up the international audience because due to the COVID nineteen pandemic, the KBO and ESPN were able to strike a deal where one game a day is uh, shown on ESPN six nights a week. And that's not shown just being shown in the United States. It's being shown in 130 different countries as well that carry the ESPN. So for you that's based in Korea right now, what is the reception in Korea among the media and the fans been like about this new worldwide English language coverage of the league? Because I know as a fan here in the United States, I've been shocked and overwhelmed by the reception that it's had here in North America. But I'm curious, what has that reception been like in Korea to see all these new eyeballs on the league from abroad? Yeah, it's pretty heady stuff. And, you know, we Korean people, we care deeply about what other people think of us. There's the procession of others uh, <laughs> of well, whatever we do. So, you know, when it's ESPN, I guess the ultimate sports cable giant uh, broadcasting live Korean baseball games six days a week, that's a big deal. I mean, I don't even know if the word big does justice to, you know, the situation here uh, it was just a shocking bit of news that wait a minute ESPN is gonna broadcast KBO <laughs> games. Uh, a lot of fans were concerned, like seriously concerned that uh, you know maybe the KBO was gonna embarrass himself, <laughs> you okay. know, being shown to uh, American audience just because of the level of play. But you know, I guess that wasn't the whole point, right? Uh, you know, the point was having live baseball for people in the U.S., I guess now in 130 countries during the pandemic, I guess the quality of the, the level of play was secondary, uh, maybe not even that, just the fact that there was live baseball going on and it was being played in Korea and it was being, it has been shown in multiple countries, you know, that's more important than, I guess, trying not to embarrass yourself on national TV in the U.S., right? Um, you know, with the players, uh, Americans, Foreign players and Korean players alike, it's a big deal. Uh, you know, I, you know, talked about this before with you, I guess, but a lot of the American players that are coming coming over, a lot of the first year players, maybe they didn't get a lot of ESPN exposure when they were playing the U.S. Maybe their teams didn't get those uh, Sunday night baseball and Monday night baseball uh, exposure uh, uh, in the U.S. with ESPN. But now that they're playing in KBO, all of a sudden they might be on ESPN two or three times a week so that their family and friends can watch back home. So that's a little bit of an ironic situation for them. And some of the guys have told me that they felt a little bit of pressure, like knowing that they're going to be on ESPN and their friends and family are watching. 
like 5 a.m. in the morning back in Eastern time zone. But uh, after a while, it kind of passed and it kind of became uh, just the business as usual, usual for them. Uh, you know, they're just going out there, not trying to get too conscious of having the ESPN and eyeballs on. Sure. Well, I know for me, just having it on ESPN has been just like surreal for, for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm curious for Han then, like you, Jiho brought up some of the foreign players um, in their reaction. So what were some of your clients' personal reaction to the news about the ESPN coverage here in the United States about the KBO? And then do you think this KBO coverage in North America is going to lead to more interest in the league by say current major league players or minor league players? And are they going to be open to that possibility of then making that jump to the KBO in the future? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll first talk about, I guess, talking to my guys currently. I think there was a lot of excitement right to start. Uh, Geo touched up on it perfectly. A lot of the guys that, that tend to go over to Korea, um, their career in the U.S. was somewhat between AAA and Major League Baseball. And some of them may have had exposure to um, ESPN broadcast, but now you're kind of at the center of the attention. And so all that stuff is exciting for them. But I think, again, what Gio mentioned, once the lights came on and teams started to play, um, I don't necessarily think they're, they're thinking about that anymore. It's, it's an added fun to them, but they're not you know, necessarily being actually conscious about the ESPN broadcast itself. But what I think it's doing um, for the game in Korea is there's so many eyes on the KBO now here in the U.S. And I know globally, but I'll just specifically refer to the U.S. for now. I know for a fact that several MLB scouts um, scout KBO games um, because they're unable to go scout games now. And I think they're finding that the level of play, sure, I mean, I think – the fear of embarrassment was initially there, but I think scouts are finding that the level of play is quite legitimate. Uh, the NC's lefty pitcher, Ku Chang Mo, has kind of taken everybody by storm. So they're all trying to figure out, well, how come we didn't know about this guy before? So I think there's definitely so much more eyes um, on the league from MLB team's perspective. In terms of players, I mean, I could tell you the, the trend, if you will, I believe has been shifting really for the past two years. Um, and this is not just with Korea, but also going to Japan as well, right? Asia is kind of becoming a legitimate opportunity for these in between, we call them four a players. So these four a players uh, to have a legitimate chance to play competitive baseball, as well as make, make a living because being kind of the up and down guy between MLB and AAA can be a very, very stressful lifestyle. Um, so if you look at uh, the talent pool, as well as the age of guys that are going over to Korea, as well as Japan, I mean, I would say a far majority of them are in their prime 27, 28, 29. Um, especially the last few years, we've seen American players having come to Korea, have had a ton of success, and now are going back. Eric Thames, Merrill Kelly, um, Josh Lindblom this year. So more and more players are seeing that as a legitimate viable opportunity, whereas I guess 10, 7 to 10 years ago, Asia was a league where you went to retire 
to collect your last paycheck is, is what guys used to call it. But simply that's just not the case anymore. Um, and it's quite ironic. Um, those guys that are kind of sort of over the hill, right? These are guys that are in their mid thirties, if you will, um, that used to get jobs in Korea and Japan all the time. I mean, most teams won't even, even look at them anymore. Um, so you are definitely seeing a, a huge shift uh, in momentum of how younger and younger guys are becoming because I think they're starting to realize opportunities are quite scarce, right? In Korea, only three slots per team. So it's 30 slots available. Um, Japan's a bit more flexible. They have four available slots on the first team and then unlimited number of jobs um, in the minor leagues. But we'll just round up the numbers and call it, what, 70 jobs available. And there are hundreds and hundreds of capable 4A players that can go play in, in Asia every year. So it's definitely becoming very, very competitive. That's very good to hear. It sounds like there are some changes coming to the Asian leagues and specifically to the KBO. And and um, piggybacking off of that, well, the KBO has recently made some rule changes, such as starting in 2023, teams are going to be able to sign foreign players to their minor league teams. And now the MLB, just example, MLB just had a draft. And there's a lot of these young kids that are not being able to be signed because they had to cut down the draft to five rounds this year. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, man, if KBO teams were able to sign some of these young prospects and be able to develop them and then maybe keep them for themselves or maybe sell back to the major leagues. That'd be incredible. But I'm going to kick it over to Jiho here. What are, uh, what are some changes that you would like to see um, come to the KBO? And then I'm going to follow up then with Han to see what some of the changes he would like to see, because like I touched on, there's going to be some minor league foreign players availability. There's going to be a salary cap for Korean players and a foreign player. So just what are some, some changes that you would like to see happen within the league? Yeah. You know, there was a bit of a change to free agency as well. Uh, but okay. uh, I'd like to see a little more of that. Uh, the service time requirement, uh, we used to be uh, nine years for players out of high school, eight years for players out of Korea co college. Now it's going to be eight years for everybody, right? And I'd like to see that cut down a little more. I, I just think that, uh, you know, these players coming out of high school, uh, you know, they'll be after eight full seasons, they'll be in their mid to late 20s, depending on when you fulfill that requirement. And I don't know, I'd like to see some of the talent, talented guys maybe take a crack at uh, majors when they're a little younger than that. And then, you know, if they don't pan out, they can still come back in their late 20s or early, th early 30s and, and try to, you know, make it back in the KBO. So just to give those players a little more opportunity, uh, I'd like to see the free agency uh, improve. I guess I don't know if, if improve is that right is the right word, but the service time requirement. I like to get it uh, shortened a little more. Great, uh, Han. Are there some changes that you would like to see? I know you deal a lot with the teams and players and stuff and something. What are some changes that you would like to see, or maybe unhappy to see that are coming upcoming, or you know, just something that you would like to see change for the KBO? I think the biggest thing, and this kind of encompasses the league as a whole. I would just like to see more freedom of movement among players uh, with transactions and trades. So with particularly in regards to foreigners right now, um, if they don't come to an agreement, I guess after the first year, 
um, for the following year, the KBL team can withhold the foreign player's rights for the next five years, meaning that player cannot be signed by any other KBO team <clears throat> for five years, which to me, I think that's basically a career death sentence. Um, and the reason being is teams are doing that because they believe this player is not quite good enough for them to re-sign, but at the same time, they fear that they might go on with another club and, and do damage. And that comes with the fear that that's going to cause them embarrassment really by the fans. Um, I think if teams truly believe in their scouting, um, in their ability to replace it, I think replacing a guy, perfectly fine. Um, but if they truly believe in their staff, then I think teams should just allow freedom of movement uh, amongst foreigners in the league. Because the way I look at it, Look, if a guy's been there already, but he's not, you know, able to re-sign for the following season, it actually benefits the the quality of the league if that guy can go on and play with with a different club. Because a lot of times, like we talked about in the earlier part of the hour, is the initial adjustment can be really, really challenging. So you're basically having a guy that that's kind of adjusted to the league, adjusted to the culture. Um, he may not have been a superstar like one expected, but if he can go on and contribute to another club, I think that's great. And we're starting to see that a little bit now. It's not as prevalent as you might see in Japan. And the one, I guess, rule that I wish KBO teams would implement is in Japan with foreign players, there's a 30-day exclusive negotiating period at the end of the season. So I think that period runs in here between, I think, November 1st to November 31st. You have the exclusive window to sign that player. And if you don't, then it, he goes out in the open market. Um, so I think it would certainly help KBO teams if they can kind of bring some sort of a similar type rule, right, where they allow freedom of movement uh, amongst players. I know KBO teams initially were afraid that if, if that happened, then all the big clubs in Seoul would just snatch up, you know, every quality player that plays down in Dejan or Daegu. But um, honestly, it would be quite a risk for a foreign player to just up and leave um, that team too, because they've just, look, if they brought family over, they've, they've adjusted to a new city, a new lifestyle, and that in itself could be a huge risk just going to a, a different team. So I don't necessarily think that players will automatically, you know, chase the dollars every single time. Right. Mm -hmm. So I think the biggest thing would be having giving players and you know what, if, if you don't want to give them up for nothing, then, then trade the foreigners. Right. Right. Sure. As far as I know right now, um, that's not allowed. And I think if teams are able to do that and maybe that'll change, right? Salary caps going to be put in. So maybe we're going to see some more sophisticated trades in the league where you trade a foreigner's rights and you get cash a hundred thousand or $200,000 in cash back. Um, and I just think it's just smarter business decision, if you will, more becoming more sophisticated and, and, I think that would only help the teams. Sure. Well, that those are some those are some great things to look forward to to the KBO. I have one question from a from a viewer. Um, maybe Jiho can 
quickly touch on this. We've seen a lot of disagreement between Major League Baseball and the Players uh, Association. What is that relationship like within the KBO, between the team owners and then the Players Association? Because from my understanding, it's not officially a recognized union, but what is that relationship like between those two entities? Yeah, so it's not a union. Uh, it's just the players, I guess, interest body. Uh, you know, right now, uh, Ideho, the whole league for the Lotte Giants, he's the president of the Players Association, but it's not a union. And, you know, man, back in the days, I want to say late 80s or early 90s, uh, some of the veteran players wanted to step up, form a union, and they were pretty severely punished by their teams at the time. This is a different time, by the way, in the KBO. Uh, so, I mean, some of the players who wanted to create a union, they were traded. They were traded out of, um, out of spite by the front office for daring to try to create a, create a union. So, again, there was, this is a vastly different time in, in the country and in, in the KBO. Uh, but right now, um, in terms of relationship, I'm not, I'm not sure if there really is one, uh, to be honest. Uh, the Players Union, uh, I mean, the Players Association mostly deals with uh, the league office in terms of uh, the role changes, the salary caps and whatnot. So some of the most more recent rule changes, there was a lot of back and forth between uh, the PA and, and the league office. I guess the league office kind of represents uh, the ownership group there. But uh, in terms of the direct relationship, the kind of which that we see from MLB, uh, you know, there's I just don't see anything quite like that over in the KBO just because we don't have a union with the players. Okay. Well, thank you very much for, for answering that. And uh, we're running up against the clock here. So I'm going to have one final question to the both of you. I'll start with Han. Um, as a Korean American, um, like myself, I have great hopes for the KBO. I'm, I'm curious to see what is your hope as somebody that works within the industry, but also, you know, somebody that's born in Korea. What is your hope for the KBO and Korean baseball, not just for this 2020 season, but then for the next few years to come in the future? Um, I think we'll... Now that um, fans will soon be allowed at, at the stadiums, I think it's a great opportunity to showcase to the rest of the world what a fun environment uh, Korean baseball game can be like, right? Dan, your background, Jamshil Stadium on a Friday, Saturday night, that place is jam-packed. I've been there so many times, and every time I'm astounded by the level of energy that you sense from – from a ballpark, it's almost literally like going to a rock concert. Sure. Um, and I just hope with the globalization of the game, with games being broadcasted all over the world, I, I, I hope that the rest of the world can see that the level of play is just as competitive. But not only that, it's truly a fun atmosphere for fans to be a part of as well. Okay, Gio, what are, what, what's your hope for the KBO and Korean baseball, not just, you know, personally as a, as a reporter, but also maybe as, as a baseball fan as, as yourself? Yeah, you know, I guess this is sort of the 50 minutes of fame for the KBO. I don't know how far we're into the, those 50 minutes, but I, <laughs> I, just think, I just hope that the league uh, does a little better job of, you know, sort of getting its brand out there internationally. I guess you and I might agree that, this league has been notoriously slow to react to some of these opportunities that have come in the past. And I don't know if there's been a better opportunity than this year. Uh, you know, Han touched upon 
showcasing the fan culture, uh, the atmosphere at the games. Uh, I guess in terms of just the level of play, we've had that about, you know, about a month and a half or two months of that on ESPN. But now with fans expected to start coming in uh, fairly soon, uh, yeah, this is a whole new level of, level of opportunity. Thank you for listening to Asia In-Depth. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube. And check out past episodes on our show page at asiasociety.org slash podcast. I'm Matt Skiavenza. See you next time.